says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to preview all the action from round 12 and talk about everything else pertaining to the Parramatta Eels this week is my good mate, 60s. Good to have you on board, mate. How are you holding up this week? Mate, any week following a Parramatta win over Manly is a brilliant <laughs> week. And and if that's not enough, we're also heading into Indigenous round, which is one of the real highlight rounds of every NRL season. So it's it's good to be an Eels supporter this week. It's good to be a rugby league supporter this week. Yeah, the win obviously made that much sweeter by all the carrying on and crying from the Manly camp in the wake of that two-point loss to the Eels. But on the other thing that you mentioned, Indigenous round, Eels have another tremendous jersey that's uh, been put up this year. Really, really well done. Also, some fantastic stuff from Dean Witters on the Parramatta website, which we'll get into later. But for now, mate, let's start with our usual segment at this point as we go behind the mic with Spiro. Well, Spiro, it's been a, a really big week to be a Parramatta Real supporter. Welcome to the tip sheet for another week. Lovely to chat again, guys. And it was great to actually finally meet you guys face-to-face last week out at Combank. I know it was a short little uh, exchange because I was up there working, but I'm glad we could meet and have a quick chat before the game. That was brilliant. Yeah, on the with the back set of the New South Wales Cup going on, where the Eels ended up getting out a very solid 26-6 win, got to finally shake hands and, and put faces to names, which is always fantastic. So, yeah. And, for, and can also mention, for, for people who aren't aware, there's, there is an area in Combat Stadium that's an Eels member bar, member slash lounge, it's just over on the corporate side, just at the northern end of the corporate side of the of the um, stadium. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just an area where you can go in and just uh, just got to show you hang around, membership. and um, you sit around at tables, have a bit of a chat, what have you. So, I know there's plans to do a little bit more there. Um, we'll leave that space for now, but just letting people know that there is that area that if you're a member, you can probably use that as a meeting point to catch up with people and have a bit of a chat and be able to uh, sit around uh, together without having to worry about uh, sitting in someone else's seat in the mm. stadium. So, uh, yeah, nice little reminder there for, for people. And it was, as you say, it was good to actually catch up face-to-face because we've spoken so many times, be it on the phone or through social media and, and also on these podcasts. So, yeah, it was our first time to to catch up and have a have a bit of a chat face to face. So, uh, mate, mate, what did you what did you make of the last minute win against Manly? Yeah, it was tight and much tighter than I expected, especially given the week the performance a week before. I thought we'd come out of the blocks really strong and start really well because that was our biggest issue the week before against the Roosters. But unfortunately, that's not really what we saw. It was a really gritty game, traditional match. It's all, it, all, it always is that way when para play manly, very tough, gritty, you know, very defensive, defensively orientated. But um, yeah, I'm glad we got the win, but our start was probably not as good as I thought of as I expected. And we've got to start strong and start well because when you play better teams, they'll rack up the points early in the match. Whereas against Manly, we were lucky and we got off uh, lightly there. But against other sides, uh, it'll it'll be more difficult to you know hold on and win those matches because 
the opposition will put scores on early in the match compared to our slow starts? There's uh, there's something that I'm going to look at in terms of the trend that's been happening with the opposition scoring first. But we did have the first try initially awarded and then taken off us with Hayes mm. Perham ruling to have um, interfered with the manly defender chasing uh, when he was chasing through on the kick. Did you have a take on that? Yeah, we were chatting during the game, weren't we, 60s? Uh, we exchanged a few messages and we spoke about this and I just could not believe it because in my eyes that was a try every day of the week. Um, and I'm not sure. This obstruction rule, we had issues in that Thursday night game as well between Newcastle and the Broncos with the obstruction and that controversial call there as yeah, well. But it's just very controversial. It's, oh, man, it's just frustrating. You know, it's uh, you just want to see tries awarded and plenty of points scored. You don't want to see this stop start and looking at every single little motion and, and bit of the play. So from my point of view, that was a try every day of the week. And I think it would have been brilliant for that try to be scored for the Gutho 150th game, you know, great way to start the night. And um, I was actually, it was funny because the uh, the cleaners in the media area which at the back of our, our commentary box when Paris scored that try and were cheering. And then a few minutes later, I saw them and they said, what happened? Why why did the try not get awarded? And I said, oh, the, the obstruction ruling. And they were really disappointed. So even from a fan's point of view and people working in and around the stadium, it was pretty clear that that was a try. So disappointed with that one. And had we scored that try, I think the, the momentum of the game in that first half would have been a lot different. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is is that I, I really believe that the Manly player was was the one that was providing the obstruction because he was a blocker for Hayes Perham, who was attempting to chase and compete for the ball. And you saw him go up in the air to compete for the ball. He's then bumped into the defender who's standing there in, a, in that sort of blocking position. Now, I don't regard that as too different to what you saw uh, the previous week with the Roosters when, um, you now why have I got a mental blank on his name? The Roosters winger, the, the young bloke, Suwali, Joseph Suwali, when he was able to climb over the top of Hayes Perham. So he's climbed over the top of Hayes Perham to compete and get the ball. And in this instance, you had Hayes Perham attempting to climb over the top of the blocker to get to the ball. Now, he's entitled to be able to go for the ball. The fact that when he's jumped up that it's knocked the blocker, it, to me, is inconsequential when he's in a competing mode. His eyes were on the ball, and then when he's bumped, his eyes then look down, and I think that ended up being what swayed against him. If he if he hadn't looked down, and I don't blame him for looking down because he's he's hit someone, and then he's probably thinking, "Where am I going from here? I'm, you know, am I am I going to come down awkwardly? Is there someone now underneath me? Whatever the case may be." But if he's if he's competing, and that's all his interest is to compete for the ball, then I don't know how it was taken off him. But you know, we can we can go on. It's uh, it's what do they say? It's um, today's fish, fish and chip wrapping. Anyway, today's news is tomorrow's fish and chip paper. Yeah, yeah that, you're right that, about that one. <laughs> that's it. So just so just getting on to uh, the refereeing decisions. Yeah, you we're we're having a bit of a moan from a Parramatta perspective, and I think all supporters are going to have a bit of a, a moan. But Manly is really 
they've almost made it their official stance in that match to complain about the referees. Not only not only has Des Hasler put on one of the more astounding uh, press conferences in that that was his entire focus, but you've then had it all echoed from the Manly players in the in the media calls this week. Yeah, and it's um it's unique because usually it's you know other teams when they play Manly get the the you know the bad rub of the green, so it's quite you know unique to see Manly in this situation, but. In my eyes, and my take on it all, guys, is that they got off lightly, especially in that last 10 minutes. In my view, there could have been three sim binnings, and there probably should have been at least two sim binnings in that last little passage of play. Uh, we saw Will Penasini score that try, but leading up to that try, there were three separate offences where Manly deserved to have players sent to the bin. We saw Sean Kepi go for 10, which was fair. I mean, when you lift a player above the horizontal and you dump them, you expect at the very least to receive a sim yeah, bin. There, there, there's right? been many, multiple send-offs this year with similar but slightly worse uh, tackles. Yeah. So it, the precedent has been there consistently. You talk about a lack of consistency from officials. That's one area where they've said, no, we refuse to budge on, on at least a sim bin for that sort of tackle. Yeah, so I was expecting potentially a, sim, a um, send-off, potentially, right? But I did understand, you know, it probably wouldn't have made a difference in the in the long run, I think there were nine minutes left on the clock, so he got yeah. 10 in the bin, so same, same. But there were a few separate offences there. You know, the, the hit on Hayes Perham, which was clearly to the head. Now, I know that Hayes did fall into that tackle, but we see a lot of that. We saw Junior Paulo against the Titans earlier this year where the player that he was tackling was falling and Junior put a hit on towards the head and copped a week for that. And I thought we saw a similar sort of thing with Hayes Perham, where he fell into the tackle, he got hit, looked around the neck or head, and, uh, you know, player got off lightly with nothing, and then Manly are complaining. It, it's pretty uh, pretty disappointing from them. And considering that they didn't have a player sent to the bin for that offence, and then there was another offence with Marty Tapao, where I think he put an elbow to the head of an Eels player, uh, you know, they, they shouldn't be complaining. They should be shutting their mouths and... Uh, at least accepting that, okay, we had one player sent to the bin, big deal. We could have had more and it could have been worse. So, yeah, my takes uh, are there, guys. I'm keen to hear what you have to say, but some of that refer or some of the complaints from Manly are just ridiculous. Well, a lot of it yeah, circles, I-, I was going to say, a lot of it circles around the 9 2 penalty count, where of those nine penalties, a good four or five were for foul play, which is pretty, you know, clear cut penalties. So that already makes the penalty count significantly. Uh, lesser in terms of general play penalties. But the other thing is that Manly had a, a very tactical game of spawning the Parramatta Ruck to the point where the Eels' average play of the ball speed was four seconds. And you, you see Jake Dubojevic at times was almost setting up a, a tent on Parramatta players and having a camping party. Uh, they, were very, they were very lucky that uh, Cummings sort of got that whistle fatigue that we talk about in the podcast because Manly had a queer tactic to disrupt the Eels that way. We've seen it work in the past. St. George very good at it too. Uh, but hmm. the Eels managed to hold on and, and get enough traction from the whistle to close the game out. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually stunned by a couple of things. I was stunned that the crusher on Gutherson oh didn't goodness. lead to a sin bin because that was one <laughs> of the worst actions of a crusher that you're ever likely to see. And what do you end up with? You end up with a fine. A fine, yeah. I think. And, and that is, there's so many, there is a distinct difference between what he did and what a lot of the, the crushes that get penalised are for. I mean, the, the crushes that are penalised quite often are where the player has absolutely no control, where the ball carrier 
backs into the tackle and collapses underneath a, a weight of players and you've got three players on top of the tackle player and unfortunately the person who's at the front of that crush often finds that their body is the one that's uh, that's applying the main pressure and all of a sudden there's a crusher tackle that's been instigated quite by accident but it's just how it it's just how it unfolds that one he mm-hmm. made a distinct action of putting him into putting Gutho's body into that position then a second action to, dr- to drive him down and that was one of the they're the types of tackles that you need removed from the game because they're designed to hurt the opposition player and I, I was just stunned. We were baying for the for the ten minutes in the sin bin when that was put on, and then I can't believe that that tackle on Junior Paulo was. Uh, so I better pronounce this Barlow. Junior Barlow, yep, yep, was was um, found to be no case to answer because to me that was a hip drop tackle. <laughs> Certainly was. Um, I mean, Junior copped a suspension a couple of years back for one. Where uh, I think it was against the um, was it against the storm or was it and anyway it was a home match and it was nothing like there was like it really was nothing but somehow they found that he had a case to answer this was doubly as bad as that it looked quite intentional but again no case to answer so I think that they were like you I think they were quite lucky not only mm. during the match but now post match that from a, from that sort of performance that they had there's no suspension of any ridiculous yeah, ridiculous so, i agree so um yeah as you said they got off lightly and now let's let's go for another counterpoint the sin binning <laughs> of Mitch Moses oh my goodness don't get me started on this one guys i from the moment i saw it from the commentary box i saw that from the on field action it was very very clear to me that there wasn't much interference at all from Mitch. Now, when we saw the replay, we saw once again, there was limited contact between Moses and Travojevic, yet he copped 10 in the bin. I just thought it was absolutely disgraceful, and it was probably the the dumbest decision of the night for me. I He did not deserve 10. He barely interfered, and he just slightly grabbed the jersey. Like, like come on. We, is, that, is that how nitpicky we're getting with these things now? I think they've They've gone overboard. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, you know, he copped 10 in the bin, cost us some points, you know, and it was a just a terrible decision from the from the refs. And the thing that also frustrated me the most was that we referees had to, they let play go. It was all good and well. And then they went back to that play a couple of minutes later. So it took them time to realize that there was um, a sin bidding offense, not in my view, but in the referee's view. They did go back and then rule on that decision after the fact. It was just, it's just very, very frustrating. But, you know, back to the decision, it should never have been a Simbin in my eyes. It was a very, very long advantage that was played there. And as Forty brought up during the game, he said, "What what is the ruling on this? How far back can you go? Mm-hmm. Now, we understand that when there is foul play in terms of like a – uh, an injury to a player as a result of a of an illegal tackle that a referee will go back and award a penalty against that. But when you saw the the minimal interference that was there on Moses, so it, it wasn't like it wasn't an illegal tackle that he's that he's uh, put onto Trebojevic that has injured him in some way, and they've gone back to a, a back play incident. 
it's been something where the player's gone on for like two or three tackles. After that, they haven't scored. And then he's gone 40 metres back upfield toward the penalty for the the little grab of the jersey, which mm. was inconsequential because he he let go of the jersey almost immediately and didn't impede Trebojevic in any way because Trebojevic was able to back up and, and took the pass exactly where he would have taken it had there been that no minimal contact that was made anyway. But, um, yeah, it was that was something I know Fordy was blowing up about in terms of the how long you play the advantage for yeah. and can you come back to an incident like that. Yeah, that's, now, I think that's... it's a it's a broader issue, <laughs> and I want to hear more from you on this forties because it's it's not just this incident; it happens frequently that referees we see them going back to plays, and you know, it, it's just ridiculous. They've got to make a decision within a certain time frame; otherwise, forget it. You know, just hack it and leave it, and put it to one side and move on. Right? Yeah, I, I was of the stance back then. I, I maintain it now, but even if it was, um, it was a very minor shirt grab. And by the way, Tom Tabovich did the same thing in the week before. And there was no call from the bunker either. So once again, there goes your consistency out the window. I could have copped the the sim bidding because by the technical like letter of the law, it was a professional foul, even if he did not actually impede him to any significant degree. The jersey grab was there on tape. But yeah, the fact that they they gave him a free play advantage and then went back just blows my mind. Uh, and it, it's I I would have to find the rule passage, but my understanding was that the bunker could only act on foul play going back in time. But apparently they can also act on professional fouls. So, yeah, it's uh, like I said, could have copped if Moses was simbined on the spot. I uh, was not a fan of him giving Manly the best of both worlds, a chance to mm. score a try for the rest of the set and then go back and have their, their cake and eat it too. Yeah, it's not on. Not on at all. Now, just on general eels and general NRL news, first of all, mm. we saw the extension of Herbie Farnworth for another 12 months at the Broncos, he was a player that the Eels were reportedly in negotiations with. So, uh, again, a, a high-profile player that the Eels haven't been able to secure there. We spoke about this a number of weeks ago being a watershed moment for you know Eels recruitment. Britton Nakora, I heard that he was close to signing, but something happened uh, late in the piece there and the Sharks managed to hold on to him. So Nakora was one that they had spoken about, which would have been a great addition to our side, filling that hole, especially in the forwards, you know, losing the likes of Murata Niakora and Isaiah Papali'i. Uh, and then he slipped out of our hands. And then this week, Kirby Farmworth. It's a bit interesting, though. It's only a one-year extension. Yeah, that, that caught could, my eye immediately. Yeah, yeah, 100%. As soon as I saw it, I thought, gee, only a year. You'd think that if the Broncos wanted to keep this guy, they'd be signing him on at least a three-year deal, maybe five-year deal, just to keep him at the club. It's pretty clear that Herbie's, you know, he's been at the Broncos since he was a teenager, you know, arrived up in Brisbane when he was 15. He wants to stay up there, and that's fine. But, yeah, I'm just not sold on this one-year deal. It could open the door for potentially an, an opportunity at the Dolphins. That's what there there was talk about that. But I'd still really like to see him at Parramatta. I would have loved to see Katoni Staggs. Uh, at the Eels in the blue and gold. That never happened. I was hoping maybe Herbie, but that uh, unfortunately didn't eventuate either. So it sort of leaves us in a funny spot, guys, because we've got quite a few players leaving uh, next year. And at the moment, apart from Josh Hodgson, who have we, who have we recruited for 2023? I know we're going to speak about a certain individual in just a moment. But, uh, yeah, it's been a little bit disappointing on the recruitment front. 
Well, we we do have that rumour that has been around. Well, it's actually been on the basis of an exclusive from Adrian Proshenko that the Eels have secured a rising Penrith forward, uh, Jermaine Hopgood, who's just not getting any opportunities there because of the strength of the Penrith roster. So what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, great signing. Uh, and I didn't actually know on a side note that Prezenko is actually a Parramatta fan. Yes. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, yes. yeah. It's he, funny. He's, he's massive fan. <laughs> oh, wow. Another well, there you sufferer. go because he does a good job of keeping that under wraps. Yeah, he is, he's very Adrian neutral in his presentation. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. Very much. I expect to Adrian quite a bit. He's a pleasure to deal with and a uh, lovely guy. It's It can be a little bit, not daunting, but it can be a, a very intense sort of uh, experience immersing yourself amongst all the heavy-hitting NRL journos. You know, they've got these profiles and they're just great at what they do. And, uh, you know, being a junior, being thrust into that at times can be a little bit interesting. But Adrian's always been so welcoming. So just a, a quick little cheery on shout-out to him. Uh, in terms of Jermaine Hopgood, fantastic signing. As you guys said, he's been stuck behind the likes of Isaiah Yo and the other fantastic forwards that they got out there at Penrith. But given that He's uh, been trained by the best, Isaiah Yo, especially a, a great back rower. Uh, he's he's going to be a fantastic asset, asset, someone that we want to add to our ranks and have there as a part of the club to fill the, the hole. And I'm sure he'll get game time. He'll, he'll get plenty of it uh, when he comes over to Parramatta. So, yeah, great little addition. Can't hear what you guys have to say about this one as well. Yeah, I mean, it seems just like a prototypical Parramatta back rower. He profiles physically very close to Nathan Brown, mid-180s, just over 100 kilos, good work rate. I think he's averaging uh, over 100 metres a game in cup this year with plenty of tackles to go. Got a bit of ball playing him in as well, so very cool to see how he fits into our system. Uh, 60s, I don't know if you want anything to add to that one. I think the main thing that we've seen out there on uh, social media has been the disappointment of Penrith Which fans that he's departing. His form has has been quite strong in the New South Wales Cup. Penrith supporters are adding comments like uh, he's he's playing an Isaiah Yo type of role in the reserve in the in the Reggies. Uh, there's a bit of debate as to whether he should be the one that's coming off the bench ahead of a, a couple of the other players that the Panthers have been using, such as Jamin Salmon and Mitch Kenny. So there's a bit of dispute about the value of the Penrith bench. It's hard to disagree with a Penrith side that is performing as well as they are that you make too many changes to it. But they certainly believe that he is, first of all, unlucky to not be playing first grade this year and that there's even the potential because I think he's originally a Queenslander. Mm-hmm. So uh, so there's uh, Penrith supporters have even said if he was to get a run in first grade, a, a decent go in first grade, that he'd be the sort of player that would develop and be able to challenge even for origin selection, which now leads us to our topic that we wanted to talk to you about, which was which Eels players have that potential to be selected in origin. It's always a talking point each year, uh, given that Parramatta, the last couple of seasons especially, have been up there sitting in the top four and one of the more dominant teams of the competition. How many will get picked for origin? And sometimes I think, gee, we, we should have more in there based on how we're performing on the field. But there are so many good players, especially at a New South Wales level, which makes it hard for guys like Gutho and Mitch to uh, edge their way into the side. Now, the mail that I've got, 
uh, is that Ryan Madison is going to be picked for the Blues. He'll be in uh, the squad in some capacity, especially uh, given his performance the last month. I heard uh, I had very, very good mail that Freddie Fitler wanted to see a really good performance from him last Friday night at Combank uh, to really cement his spot. And I, I think Freddie was happy with what he saw and he's going to pick him in the squad. He'll get a call on Sunday and head into camp. So that's great news for Maddo. The last time he was in the squad, I think he was an 18th man when he was at the Tigers. So really happy for him. I think he's having a break or one of his best seasons uh, in the, the blue and gold jumper. So I think Maddo will be there. And uh, our two front rowers, Regan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Bowler, I think they're both going to be there in some capacity. I don't know if RCG is going to start. I think that uh, Junior should be should be in the starting squad uh, with potentially Payne Haas. And then RCG will be on the bench maybe as a bit of an impact front rower. So I think you can earmark those three forwards at this stage. Um, I, I think, you know, Mitch will miss out. Obviously, they're going to have Cleary there. But um, if there's an injury or something that happens, maybe potentially Mitch might get the call-up, uh, given that he's got a lot of raps and he's had a good start to the year as well. But, yeah, put put a, a little line next to those three players. They'll all play Origin uh, at least game one. And I think Reed, as good as he's been this year, I think that Harry Grant, I know he's got that injury, so uh, keep your eyes peeled. But Harry Grant probably will get the go-ahead ahead of Reed. But if this injury to uh, Harry Grant progresses and gets any worse, then I think Reed will be wearing the number nine for Queensland. Okay, interesting time. We've got the the buy around mm. the first Origin, but later in the of the year we do have a game that we'll have to uh, play without our Origin players. So. That could really test the Eels' forward depth at, at that point. Just moving into uh, some general NRL news, uh, we've mm. had the Warriors and Matt Lodge oh, New part ways. It's- yeah, mm, very uh, messy, that whole situation. He was on, I think, 700000 a year, his contract that they've spoken about, and just walks away. Uh, understandable, doesn't want to go to New Zealand, but from... What I've heard in my circles and what I've heard in the media, when he signed with the Warriors, that was a part of the discussion. And, um, you know, he knew that they would have to move eventually to New Zealand and he was okay with it at the time. So he's pulled a little bit of a dirty on the club and I really do feel for them because they're still paying part of his wage and they'll continue to pay yeah, part of that, his wage that was the next big thing year that came well. out Yesterday was the golden, what mm-hmm. was essentially a golden handshake where the Warriors have now been forced by the NRL to count that payout under the cap for this year and next, which means that mm. whoever signs Matt Lodge doesn't quite get him for free, I don't think, but they're going to get a significant uh, payout against the cap. So the question is, yeah. which which club could best use a, a solid prop forward like that? It'll be interesting to see where he lands because you're going to be getting him for a pretty good rate. Maybe he ends up at the Eels. There was talk before he signed with the Warriors, I remember when he was at the Broncos, that he was maybe going to come to Parramatta. And who knows, he may end up there. Um, my only concern is that this week, seeing that he's playing a bit of rugby union, is his head really in league? Does he really want to continue to play the game? Has he lost um, you know, lost his love for the game? I'm not too sure. But, but I mean, it's a reasonable concern. And I suppose the other thing yeah. was that he'd recently bought a house in the Northern Beaches. So Manly's been another club that's had their name thrown into the hat for the Lodge sweepstakes. Yeah, I'd put a, I'd put a, I'd put a line through him as far as the Eels are concerned. I I'd be surprised 
deeply, deeply surprised if they were interested. Um, mm. uh, so now, just uh, the other bit of news, and this is something that I believe you can uh, uh, maybe shed a little bit of light on. Yeah. But the the suggestion that the North Sydney Bears mm. might be uh, looking at a, a joint venture, would you call it? But yeah. Uh, but applying for the 18th NRL franchise with Western Australia being involved. Yeah, it was reported in the Telegraph last week. Peter Volandis was quoted in a story basically saying that, you know, the Bears brand is so popular. Every second person I speak to says, you know, can the Bears be back in the competition? We want to see them there. We want to, you know, have them involved. And given that they're, they're big uh, followership and fan base, that they might be the right franchise brand to come in as that 18th team but they would join with WA so they might be called like the WA Bears or the Perth Bears or something so they have the the logo and the image and the brand but they'd just be based in WA the thinking behind that is that the NRL could expand into a new market over in Western Australia which they've been wanting to do but then link it with such a huge popular brand in in North Sydney Bears they'd play half a dozen games here uh, at North Sydney Oval each year, which would just be fantastic, as well as a bit of a connection to their previous Highlands. So it's a win-win. You cover off WA, you've got a team over there and can expand into that new market, and you also link up with uh, that fantastic fan base. There are over, I think, there are over two hundred thousand people on the Bears database. So I've got a good relationship with Daniel Dixon, who's the chairman of the club, who's basically revealed to me that they they just really want to have their brand back in the, the competition. At the end of last year, there was talk that they wanted to come back um, in sort of a, a Dolphin-style um, uh, concept where they wouldn't be attached to an area. They wouldn't be the North City Bears. They'd just be known as the Bears. And then they'd play games on the Central Coast, North Sydney, and at a range of other venues as well, which is interesting. But it looks like that's going to be the most viable option going forward because you then open yourself up to this broad market and range of people. So watch this space. Valand- Peter Valandis, the godfather, he's keen on the idea. Daniel Dixon from the Bears, he's keen on the idea. They're only in early discussions with the WA government and WA Rugby League at the moment. But keep your keep an eye on that one, guys, because they might be the 18th team. Well, we're, we're having a bit of a fun in the which is better or what is better segment on the podcast this week where we're saying in a hypothetical world, if you could bring back a foundation club, which club would you prefer to bring back, the Newtown Jets or the North Sydney Bears? So is it fair to say that you've made, you'd make up your mind very quickly on that one there, Spiro? Yeah, I'll be back in the Bears given I've got that relationship with Daniel and um, I like their colours, but I like their song. I think their song is, uh, is fantastic. And I just think that their their database, they're very professional in all my dealings with the club. They've been fantastic. They've got um, a huge pathway system from a women's women's point of view as well. They've got a Tasha Gal team, Harvey Norman women's premiership team. They've got a reserve grade team uh, that plays in the New South Wales Cup. So the Bears for mine, guys, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say a little bit later on in uh, which is better. I'm going to say the Bears for being reinstated over the Jets. Well, mate, it's been uh, another big week as as we hinted at when we started your segment. Thank you again for joining us and we're looking forward to speaking again next week. 
yeah, it'll be interesting because we won't be previewing a game. We'll be dissecting all the action from the uh, the Raiders game on Sunday, which should be interesting. Um, so, yeah, enjoy the weekend of footy, guys, and go para. Cheers, mate. As always, thanks to Spiro for taking us behind the mic. 60s, mate, though, it's time for the news. News team, assemble! Lots to talk about this week, mate. Starting off with some potential signing news. I already mentioned it with Spiro. But uh, on Radio SEN yesterday, we had a noted Eels tipster and a prime member of the media, Adrian Pashenko, talking about how the Parramatta Eels have almost certainly or have been linked heavily to a young Penrith back rower called Jermaine Hopgood. Hopgood, uh, one of their... I mean, I, I say very good young talents, but he's been buried in a hugely or highly competitive Penrith roster, seen a little bit of first grade, but not as much as he would have liked, given that they're a premiership caliber, and not just premiership caliber, actual reigning premier roster. Uh, he links up with the Eels potentially from next year. Yes, mate. And it's it's uh, one of those uh, signings where you get that gauge from opposition supporters, as we talked about with Spiro, the... Penrith supporters disappointed to be potentially losing him, talking up his qualities on social media. So uh, it looks like it's going to be a a valuable signing if it is confirmed by Parramatta. And maybe one of those signings where uh, we've got no idea what sort of value is on it. Maybe that will come out in in, uh, the course of time. But you'd have to say it's... It's one that I'm looking forward to. It brings in someone who's come out of a, a winning culture, got a range of skills in the kit bag. So um, we need, with players departing, we do need to start seeing some signings. Build at 185 centimetres, a couple of kilos over the, the triple figures. I think he's about 102, 103 kgs officially. Uh, seems like that sort of prototypical middle forward. I know he can play plenty, uh, plenty tough. Uh, you know, rough and tumble through that middle sector. Feels like a you know the ideal Parramatta Eels lock forward. We know that Nathan Brown, you know, in his prime, almost profiled exactly the same. So uh, pretty cool, sort of like uh, shadow rostering right there. You see, like for like pickup, and really keen to see what he can do alongside a couple other young back rollers at the club next year because there's going to be some opportunities with the likes of Ice and Murata moving on. Yeah. So as as I said, there's there's spots there available in the roster. We need to fill them. Obviously, they've maybe they've got players got plans for elevating those from uh, second tier deals into the full time squad. Watch this space. Yes, sir. And now, as you record on the twenty sixth of May, that means that June is just around the corner, and of course, June means state of origins. We've got a lot of origin rep news to start waiting through in the coming weeks, and we start. Now, with the New South Wales under-19s and Victorian under-19s in the women's space, we know that the Parramatta Eels had a fantastic run in the Tasha Gale this year, falling one game short of the grand final. And they've been rewarded, uh, reflective of that, with a number of players selected to representative squads. We'll start with the New South Wales under-1960s. Four players selected here for the Parramatta Eels. Obviously, fantastic representation. No surprises amongst the four players named. Headlined by Rosemary Beckett and Captain Ruby John Kennard. Patessa Leo out in the centres and Talisha Maeva, who was an outstanding back rower for the Eels. All four players were core members of that tremendous Tasha Gale team. And like I said, not surprised to see him featured in the sky blue this year. 
yeah, I think there's just reward for each of those players. Uh, Ruby Jean Kennard is just a, a powerhouse front rower that was amongst the best on field every single week. And we also saw the work on the edge of uh, both Leo and uh, Maver. And also when you're talking about added qualities to the team this year, uh, Rose Beckett was just what the Eels needed in terms of a playmaker to guide the team around the field. So uh, a very valuable addition to the Tasha Gull team this year. And as I said, just reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, two of their compatriots found their way into the Victorian under-19s team, Petalina Atoa, the uh, powerful front rower, and Amina Kanj, who was uh, very good on the flanks for the Eels. These ladies will be playing, if I can just find my right notes here, uh, I believe they'll be up on the Gold Coast for their uh, for the uh, representative carnival this year, something that takes place between June 9th to June 12th. So it'll be a nice little trip for them up to the, the sunny state of Queensland and a chance to push for, I believe, Australian selection, maybe a merit squad. I'm not sure what's up for grabs at the end of the tournament for the ladies. So usually it's a, some form of Australian selection. So there's a good chance some of our ladies could end up getting to the uh, green and gold. Any time that you've got opportunities arising for players to play at higher honours, it adds to their experience. It adds to their exposure to other other coaching methods as well, uh, the, the standard of the games. And it adds to the pathways that these girls can follow into elite senior football, women's f- football. So... It's good to see so many Parramatta players that are being able to take that next step. Oh, sorry, in just, this to, just to clarify, that was the City under-19s. So they're going to go to the actual state carnival, then be picked for the New South Wales team. Sorry, it wasn't right, made immediately. Okay. But so still, first-level representative selection for the ladies, fantastic. Chance to get picked into the New South Wales team now for the actual State of Origin series, it looks like. Uh, and then on the back of that, uh, the Eels also made note that six of their Tashgal players have been elevated to the Harvey Norman's Women's Competition or Women's Premiership thus far. That includes Patessa Leo, Talisha Meva, Catalina Vave, Tamira Liardi, Ruby John Kennard and Rosemary Beckett, all of whom have been playing for Wenty except for Patessa, who's been playing for Mounties. So that's once again bridging that gap towards a potential NRLW debut. Yeah, and we flagged that earlier in the, uh, well, towards the end of the Tasha Gale season that there was the chance that the Eels now had with having the NRLW team to start to transition some of these girls into the uh, the senior women's ranks. And it, as you say, it might, it might not be that they make a debut in this upcoming season, but it does expose them to that higher level of commitment and training that's involved in the NRLW. And it, it's almost like, I suppose, like an apprenticeship that they would be doing as part of the team, you would imagine, for this season. But with so many of them that have been named as part of the squad, you'd have to think that there is a reasonable chance that there there might be a debut or two that mm-hmm. happens during the season. And that's definitely something we're going to be very excited to follow. But continuing with the uh, women's space, the New South Wales senior squad, their extended roster was announced this week, featuring three Eels, I believe. 
uh, Captain Samima Taufa, Tiana Penatani, who just re-signed for the club, and young Philomena Hunisi, who was a real standout as she developed in her first NRLW season, have all been selected into that extended squad. Going to be real keen to see uh, how many of them can make it into the final 17 for Game 1 in State of Origin. But yeah, once again, what's something to track, but obviously deserved selections for the three of our core players in our maiden NRLW campaign. And it keeps the uh, women's game in the headlines too, doesn't it? Yeah. These these sorts of uh, events, because until we get to the stage where you have an extended NRLW season, and we know that that's not too far down the track, having representative season for them in this time of the year, and it, as you mentioned, it also fits around the fact that most of them are currently playing in the Harvey Norman uh, New South Wales competition. It, it just means that they are maintaining that high level of competition throughout the, the different stages of the season. And it helps with their prep coming into this, well, the 2022 season, isn't it, for the NRLW? Because the start of the year was still the, was the, called the, the 2021 season. That's right. It was the, the season from last year that couldn't be played due to the COVID concerns. And so now we have the actual season 2022 proper coming up towards the back end of the NRL regulation season. So um, lots to look forward to with the representative season across all fronts, the uh, pathways representative season, the um, senior representative season, just exciting times, as I said, to be an NRL supporter. And then the last bit of our origin talk for us this week is the men's team that will be named at the conclusion of round 12. I believe it's at the conclusion of round 12. I think they will name it Sunday night or Monday sometime. Few Eels either going to be almost certainly picked or in the run for selection, mate. Uh, Junior Barlow, we know he's going to be a core part of that uh, team looking to defend their crown in state of origin. Likely to be one of the starters for the Parramatta, uh, Parramatta <laughs> for the New South Wales forward pack. Uh, Reagan Campbell Gillard's had his name thrown into the ring as a very serious contender for part of that front row rotation. I know Daniel Saifidi has been struggling for form. Reg, fantastic last year, has just built on that this year. Uh, very good chance of being picked. And then the wild card, I suppose, the player that probably deserves to be picked, but I don't know if he's going to get into a slot due to uh, incumbent loyalty, but Ryan Madison, arguably the form forward of the competition for, what, six weeks now? Uh, he certainly had his name in the headlines as a potential candidate for origin selection after being so close going as far back as 2019. Uh, but it all depends on whether the selectors show loyalty to the likes of uh, Jake Dubojevic and Angus Crichton, uh, two blokes pretty much down on form, but uh, part of a successful origin camp for some time. You'd have to say that last year, RCG was unlucky to his selection. He was right up there with Junior in terms of club form, was one of the form front rowers of the competition. This year, maybe that's what Maddo faces because his form has been irresistible the consistency at which he's producing such high-quality football has been astounding. It's without question his best form in a blue and gold jersey, and I'd argue he's in career best mm-hmm. form right now. I think so. So he's been a shadow squad member in the past. You'd have to say that his name must have been featuring in early discussions about the team. But it's a hot field to try and break into that position. Maybe his utility value does help him in terms of a bench role. 
And we'll find out later this week. Obviously, it'll be something we'll talk about in next week's podcast as we get through the actual squad selection. But knock on wood, because Matto certainly deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and that'll wrap us up for the news. Usually, we'll be talking about the injury award, but thankfully, this week, there are no names in there except for the two blokes that unfortunately after the season in Hayes Dunster and Ray Stone, the Eels are fully fit, believe it or not, mate. Yeah, the only player that hasn't been named that in terms of a full squad of players taking the field this week is Offa Hickey Ogden. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was named in the New South Wales. No, not yet, uh, at least. He might, maybe he's a Cal- inclusion, but he wasn't named on Tuesday. I've got to think, just from what I've seen, I've got to think he's very close. And I don't know whether, whether he might get a – whether he's a last-minute addition to this to this weekend because we, we occasionally see that, don't we? Players not named. Yeah, exactly, and they just but, filter in. They get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he really does look close to me. Yeah, and that's uh, going to be a huge inclusion. Ogden was in sensational form. In fact, he actually hurt his shoulder making a huge line break against the St. George Laura Dragons in a game where he was absolutely killing it. So he uh, he was a player that you tipped in the preseason to be one to watch, and he certainly was living up to those expectations prior to a shoulder injury. And now that the round 11 deadline has passed, if he can get or recapture that form, he's going to be a real contender for a bench spot in first grade. And I think down the track, when you're talking about impact forwards, and the loss of Murata Nikore next year, and Murata is no doubt one of our biggest impact players, that although he uh, plays a slightly different role, I honestly believe that Ogden has the potential to bring that impact. And yeah, he, he's, he's, he's quite mobile too. He's a point of difference watch, forward. Yeah, he's dynamic. Yeah. So I I believe he can be, he can be that player that we're – that we're losing in Murata. So I'm not saying that he can go and play out in the centres, but he has that capability to play the middle or on the edge, I think. So uh, again, I'm, I'm quite happy that we brought him to the club. And as I mentioned in the preseason, I could just see him being one of those players that just what he was showing towards the end of the preseason, that he was going to make it hard for BA to ignore his claims. And my thought then was that maybe he might have been pushing for an upgrade to a top 30 spot from uh, like mm-hmm. to get the 29th spot in the Eels team. But as you mentioned, now that we're in that part of the season where the second tier players can be used, there's no need to rush ahead with uh, an elevated spot. I, I'm pretty sure that he might be on a NRL deal from next year. I believe he is. Like I think the 30, NRL signing yeah. sporting portal says he was top 30 next year. So Yeah. Um, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what the Eels do now with those remaining top 30 spots because I think it was revealed in a media article a couple of weeks back that you are able to roll over 5% of your, uh, your cap, I think, from one year to the next. So maybe the Eels don't sign anyone and they end up rolling over cap space. So, if I that, think you do have to have those spots filled, but don't you? Yeah, well, I, I, that's what I thought. But given that we're past that deadline, uh, I'm not really sure if there's. Yeah, everything seems so fast and loose in the NRL. You always hear one thing, and then the next year, the media report on something completely different on the same you know, angle. So, who knows? I think it's the I think it's the first of August is the new date where you have to have 
your top 30 locked in. You can't have no spots available. Uh, I mean, you can't have spots available on the first of, or or it's the no, it's the first Monday in August, I think it is. Maybe. Okay, um, there you go. Yeah, I, I looked that up where it was, where it used to be that the twenty ninth spot had to be filled by um, the start of the competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's the twenty eighth spots have to be filled. And that spots 29 and 30, I think it's the first Monday in August from memory. There you go. Well, that's definitely something I have to keep track of because, yeah, I mean, you just hear so many conflicting things these days. And I know that that window was certainly expanded into August, which caused a lot of talk last year about how it's going to only benefit the good teams and whatnot. So have to keep track of what the Eels do with their top 30 at that point. Yeah. So um, it's, well, it's going to be interesting to see whether we do get any like Ogden, uh, like Kai Rodwell, uh, perhaps uh, someone like um, Elliot Elzikim mm-hmm. that are brought into the team in these uh, closing in the second half of the season. So yes, it, uh, the, because they they've certainly at different stages pushed their claims. So agreed. Again, agreed. Uh, the options are now there for uh, BA to utilise his entire squad. And before we get into our round 12 previews of the triple header, triple header out in Canberra, let's play a quick game of which is better, mate. Uh, let's uh, start off with the footy. This one, uh, not Parramatta Eels related, but it is always, it feels like a topical topic because NRL expansion is always in the press and you know the talk between should we go to a new franchise or bring back one of the storied older franchises that are still in the rugby league fabric but not inside the NRL itself two teams that are in that sort of, I'd say, purgatory, the North Sydney Bears or the Newtown Jets. Which is better for the NRL between those two to bring back into the competition, whether it's in their geographical sort of genesis or into a, I suppose, like you talk about the Central Coast Bears or, or you know, Ipswich Jets or whatnot? Yeah, and we're, and we're not suggesting that this is a, a path that the NRL is going down. This is just us looking at a... a uh, clubs that still exist in one form but used to be part of the competition from uh, – well, they, they were both foundation club members, uh, Newtown and Norse. So in a world where you had these two clubs competing for readmission, which club would you suggest is the best for for re-inclusion? Now, this is interesting because Newtown – has really made a fist out of existing at the level that they are now. They're like a niche following where they've got their merch that sells, they've got special days like their their food festival day that they do out at Henson Park where although the crowd is put up as the normal crowd for Henson Park, which is like at 7,000 and something, I think. It, whatever the number is that was their final attendance in Henson Park, it's put up as and the attendance. I remember, the, I remember the first time I went out there, I was so confused. I was like, what are they talking about? There's like a couple hundred people here. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then you get the lowdown. Oh, it was the final crowd there. Makes sense. Yeah. So, But on, on that, uh, the, the, the food, footy and booze or whatever, whatever the name of the festival is, it would. It must have around ten, twelve thousand people there because when you see the shots of the the hill, and it's a magnificent 
hill at Henson Park, and I'm not someone that's interested in sitting on hills these days, but if you're talking about a, a great bowl of a hill for watching the football from, it's Henson Park. And anyone that hasn't been to Henson Park at least once in their life yeah. should probably go out there because it it just takes you back to the old older times with rugby league and it they don't really pretend to be anything else other than a club that keeps the roots to its mm-hmm. foundation years and has found a role for itself in the modern day game so newtown probably uh isn't interested in being a a relocation they in reality they're really not an expansion uh, possibility. So what we're really talking about is that hypothetical, if both teams were coming in, which would be the one that most people would like, which would be the one that most people would think would be better. And I think for, for the reasons that the Newtown Jets are very, very happy for what they're doing at the moment... I'm likely to say the North Sydney Bears, and and I think as well most people had the North Sydney Bears as their second favourite team, and I know there's a lot of people don't have second favourite teams. I don't have a second favourite team anymore, but I used to have a soft spot for the Bears because no one could come close yeah. to their ability to snatch <laughs> to snatch defeat out of the jaws it's, of victory. I knew where you're going with that, and it's so true. They have had like all timers. All time collapses. They're such a wonderfully tragic franchise in that regard, you know. But yeah, I've got a soft spot for the Bears. My late mother was a North Sydney girl and, and enjoyed supporting them before converting to Parramatta on account of myself. So yeah, even just for that, for me, I'd, I'd like to see the Bears back between them and the Jets. I also like their jerseys. I think the red and black with the splash of white is something that's very different to most of the jersey landscape in the NRL. And, and also, we have to talk about premiership droughts. If North Sydney was to come back, Parramatta have, have got a, a all of a sudden they they go from being the one with the longest drought, and we're excluding clubs that haven't won the premiership, obviously like the Warriors. But in terms of the longest drought of a premiership, they, this was what nineteen twenty two, yeah, something like that. That when the Bears last won a premiership, and I know they've been out of the competition for quite a number of years now, but. It, it would maybe it would add something to the theatre of the NRL to have a club which can trace back to foundation, hadn't won a competition since 1922, had was everyone's uh, or many people's second favourite team, was booted out of the competition under awkward circumstance where they had that joint venture with Manly that they were really, I think, Second unfairly, class citizens, yeah, in that one, you know, put into that position where they had set up a, a, a new base up on the central coast and then were drawn into that partnership, and then everything went, went astray there financially. And yeah, there from everything that we had a bit of a chat to Spiro about before, North Sydney's in a, a good place from that regard, and uh, so I'm, I'm giving my vote to. Norse, that mm-hmm. if there was a world where both Norse and Newtown were putting in bids, I would be going for Norse as the as the club. Yeah, me too. All right, okay. so we move from football to music. 
going to look at uh, an interesting one here because we've pitted band versus band in which is better in the uh, iterations prior. We're going to go a band versus a solo act with a member of said band in his solo career. One of the great Aussie pub rock groups of all time, Cold Chisel, versus their lead man, Jimmy Barnes, as a solo artist. Which was better for you, 60s? Look, I've got to go for Cold Chisel mm. because I saw I saw Chisel at their height. Uh, amazing gig at Parramatta Leagues Club, the, the most phenomenal gig I think I've ever seen where they were just out of control and they were doing it as a rehearsal for their Circus Animals tour, last-minute gig, no, nothing but the white stage lights there, so there was no... There was no light show. There was nothing fancy. Uh, it was probably only three quarters full because it was pre-social media, obviously, back in the days. It was back in, um, I think it was about 80 or 81, something like that. I was down at the club picking up my pay. I used to work down the club as a barman, and then they just announced over the PA, Cold Chisel are performing tonight. And <laughs> I just rang up a mate from the public phone at the club and said, do you want to get down here for this? I think the tickets might have been five or ten dollars. It was like literally nothing, and they played for a couple of hours. Uh, it was typical of chisel of those days. Jimmy had probably consumed a large part of a, a bottle of some spirit and was jumping onto the tables that was still set up from bingo and just running absolutely. But just the the performance was just amazing. They were so good. Uh, and just the the songwriters that were there within the band, mm. everyone was a songwriter within the band, and just the diversity of the music. Now, Jimmy Barnes is a solo artist, a lot of commercial success, and probably had a little bit of international success as a solo artist. But I can't. I in terms of the music, I I'm. I struggle to come up with a long list of Jimmy Barnes songs as a solo artist. I know there have been, and I know he's put out a string of albums. But for me, I can I can rattle off that many Cold Chisel songs and that many favourites that it has to be Cold Chisel. Yeah, Jimmy as a solo artist dabbled a lot in soul music and had some great covers in that regard there. Very talented vocalist. He actually had a surprising amount of range for a guy that you grew up, or at least your first exposure to him was as part of a, you know classic Aussie's pub rock, Aussie pub rock. Sorry, but man, you can't really go past Cold Chisel. I, I think I don't know about what it is these days for kids, but I know at least my generation, who were you know a bit removed from you uh, when you were growing up, uh, one of the foundational pub experiences for me was still belting out songs like Kaysan at the pub near, near closing time. It was just you know such a great band to sing along to really captured the energy of a, a incredible period of Aussie music. Yeah, and I'm already thinking that next week a topic's going to be bands in the big venue, be it stadium or large entertainment centres, versus bands in pubs and clubs as as a go. venue to go and watch. So I, I'm not going to preempt it any, any further than saying that that will be a topic for our next what's better but uh just it was look it was a golden era 
back then being able to see those bands it was just it was something else to literally some of the tv shows that were around then like countdown for example that the bands that you would see on countdown you could basically within a couple of weeks they might be performing at a pub or club near you so it's it's a long list of bands that I was able to see live. I'm grateful for being able to do that. My ears aren't so grateful because <laughs> I, I do have um, I do have some hearing issues that uh, have followed me from that era of walking out with the ears ringing every every week. But it's yeah, so it it has to be cold chisel. And and mind you, anyone who's had the opportunity to follow Jimmy Barnes on social media with the music that he's put out during the lockdown period. And I'm talking about just he and his wife and the family and the extended friends that uh, they put out on their Facebook. It, it was, uh, it, it's been really, really good. Uh, I'm, there is no knock on Jimmy as a solo artist, but in terms of the music that was put out during those, the, the two aspects of his careers the cold chisel music versus the solo music i'm i'm yeah chiseled all the way back to the football now mate we're in the heart of winter games are starting to get real icy to attend especially when it's a nighttime game out in the west of sydney when you're rocking up to a winter game at the footy doesn't have to be the Parramatta Eels, i suppose but just a winter event you're sporting the hoodie or a jacket and a beanie which one's better for cold game or cold weather footy Look, I've probably, in the cold of winter, I've probably fluctuated between the two of them. I tend to be uh, or have been in the middle of winter going and watching training. I've tucked the beanie along when it's been a really cold night, watching watching the eels go through their paces at training. Uh, but I will say at the football, it's probably a lot more convenient to pop the hoodie over the top because you're not taking along an extra piece of clothing that you have to worry about sticking in the pocket or in a bag or, or something like that uh, for the times where you don't want to wear it because I, I tend to be one of these people that I, I don't I don't like things on my head, wearing things on my head. I wear a bucket hat out in the sun because that's just sun safe. But if I had a choice of get, getting around with something on the head or not on the head, I prefer something not on the head. So I'm probably one of these ones that there's the convenience now of the hoodie of just pulling the hoodie over the top in winter. I like to be taking the opposing point from you more on these, which is better. But for me, hoodies are almost a way of life. Fantastic piece of clothing, pull them on, get access to two extra pockets in uh, really useful spots. Um, yeah, big fan of the hoodie. And uh, I think it's a no, no contest for me. Yeah, yeah. So we're on the same page. This and, one, uh, this one, one might be there. interesting, yeah. So you go out to the game in winter, you're wearing your hoodie or your jacket and beanie, have a big night after, go to the Leagues Club, enjoy the uh, tip sheet live uh, post-game reaction. But you're yeah, feeling a bit peckish, you head out into Parramatta City, as it were, want a bit of a late-night refuel after a big night of the footy and a few drinks. What's your pit stop, mate? Are you going to go for a burger or for the classic kebab? Now, it's interesting that you mention this because at the, the last podcast – we were there at Paraleagues till nearly midnight mm-hmm. by the time we walked out. Very tight. Like, it, was, it was amazing, like jam-packed uh, Jack's Bar and Grill, um, great patience from the people that showed, were, showed because of the technical issues that we had. But, yeah, we're walking out of there and it is midnight when we're walking out. And 
it was we need something like when <laughs> Chanel and I are heading home and it's like let's let's stop and grab something and we so we did we called into a McDonald's on the way home there was a long queue of cars that had the same idea so it ended up being an exercise which took uh, 25 minutes half an hour believe it or not so I would say that for the most part, there's the easy convenience of a of a burger stop. Uh, that that twenty five minute taken out of the way. Normally, it's a it's it's pretty easy to go and grab a burger, and it's not too much of a delay. I'm I I enjoy the kebab, but it's just finding one that's open, that's nearby. Um, I think probably if you're in certain locations around the city late at night, there's a convenience of a of a kebab somewhere, but there just wasn't last weekend. So I'm going to have to say the preference would be the kebabs. The convenience is the burgers. Yeah, once again, going back to my formative years growing up in Coffs Harbour, there was a kebab shop near the string of pubs in the heart of the city. I think it was the uh, Coffs Hotel uh, God, what else was there? There was three or four pubs there, but had the kebab stop nearby. Also had a bakery that made fresh meat pies. But then when I moved to Sydney, going out to Newtown, uh, Istanbul's was there for the late night kebab. So for me, it's easily, I mean, I'm a big kebab fan just for a general meal. Uh, so yeah, easy kebab. And obviously the other thing that's imprinted in my memory was one of those classic VB ads where blokes have a big night and then the the classic line, if the uh, missus doesn't kill you, the garlic sauce will. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to dob, I'm going to dob Yoko in here because there was a reasonably late night that was had last night. Uh, I had a, a, a mate that I've been mates with since kindergarten, and he, but he lives over in New Zealand now and he's, he's come over to visit and he came around last night and we got through. Uh, close to two bottles of uh, bourbon and he also hit the vodka as well and I was fairly light in the alcohol consumption but Yoko's hit it pretty hard and she's had to go to work today and she messaged me to say that she'd done an Uber Eats for McDonald's to get that that greasy hit (laughs) early in the morning at work. (laughs) <laughs> and um, it's uh, yeah, the the day after is never never great. But yeah, she's she's gone for it the next day, so uh, she's probably won for the burger. But I'm sure if there was an option that she could take just as easy with with that, that probably that that uh, that garlic sauce would <laughs> would get her as well. So yeah. As always, keen to hear what your takes are on this edition of Which Is Better. Feel free to drop in the comments or hit us up on socials. But for now, 60s, let's move on to the main event of the preview podcast, which naturally is the previews for Round 12. Parramatta Eels travelling to the nation's capital to take on the Canberra Raiders in all three senior grades. It starts with the Jersey flag, which kicks off at 12.05pm at JO Stadium. Parramatta Eels having a Narrow loss against Manly last week, which meant they couldn't complete the sweep against the Seagulls. A number of players came back, though, which is always a good thing. And we'll talk about that now because they went 
from the bench to starting this week. The Eels line up this way. Dantore Louis at fullback. You've got Terrell Williams and Matt Komalafi on the wings. Charlie Geimer and Lockie Blackburn, who moves from back row to centre this week, are the two centres. Jabril Kalachi and Ethan Sanders, the 5'8 and halfback, respectively. One of those players I mentioned that was good to see back last week, and here it comes to the starting team. It's the big hyphen. Jonte Jr. Beffen Mesa, he's going to start in the front row alongside David Hollis. Kruj Natili Schmidt, who made his return from injury the week before as well, comes onto the bench at dummy half to start. Peter Tateo and Tony Mataeli, the other returning player from injury, are the back rowers on the edges. Ryan Jones lock forward. On the interchange bench, David Tui, Jack Colavati, Nikau Raffel and Brock Parker. Jaden Skinner is the 18th man. They're taking on the Raiders. I'm just trying to see if there's any players I can recognise at lock forward, there's one we both know, 60s, Caleb Toey. He had a good game yep. against the Eels earlier this year. Um, yeah, aside from that, not too many names I recognise in this Canberra Raiders outfit. But for the Eels, it, it's frustrating because just as they get a couple of guys back, they start losing players. Uh, there's uh, Corey Fenning out this week by way of concussion, I believe. Uh, you've got Josh Tuopolotu also missing and big Larry Moagatutia also out. So they keep getting players back only to lose other core players. It must be so frustrating for both the players and the coach. Yeah, last week they got off to a bad start against uh, Manly over at Ringrose Park. Uh, we had uh, our friend of the throw, Para Through and Through, who was covering that for us and sending through match updates for the live blog that we had for that game, the Seagulls jumped out to a 24-0 lead. But unfortunately, during that time, the Eels lost Corey Fenning to the HIA. And as you mentioned, he's not been able to take his place this week. And I suppose, too, with that being, uh, well, not a, not a... Not a quick turnaround, but you just take you just take care with those sorts of injuries the following week. But that was also costly in that match because not only did it take out a, a backline player, but it also took out the first choice goal kicker. And as it turned out, the Eels fought back and clawed their way back to twenty four to eighteen. And at that stage, it was four tries apiece. And the Eels were only able to kick one conversion. Mm-hmm. Manly then kicked a field goal late in the match to wrap up a seven-point victory. But it was one of those games where if the if the and Corey Fenning's quite an accomplished goal kicker. If they'd been able to be within two points or even level with Manly late in the game, then maybe it might have gone the the match might have gone a different path in the in the last few minutes. So. There were quite a few players, as you mentioned, were returning from injury last week. The report from uh, Para through and through was that both wingers played particularly well last week and that um, probably the uh, returning Tony Mattaielli was one of the best on field. So that's a good sign for, for Tony. Yeah, it was very good to hear. Tony obviously had a very good preseason before getting hurt late in the process. And yeah, he'll be a player that I think if he can put together a couple of good games in the flag, we'll probably find himself up on the cup bench at some point soon. And when I say both wingers, I'm talking about Terrell the wingers Williams. last week were Terrell Williams and, and Matt, Matt Komalafi. Mm-hmm. So Matt had dropped back from New South Wales cup level to the um, Jersey flag. So uh, strong performances from both of them. And the Eels entered this game second to last on the ladder 
looking on the outside into the top eight. But the Canberra Raiders, who they're playing, are just one win ahead of, one win ahead of them, but four places higher on the table at seventh. So a big second-half season surge sort of starts in this game. If they can get the win, they put themselves back into top eight calculations pretty quickly. Well, they only played them a very short uh, time ago up at Kellyville Park. And going into that match, the Eels would have been the favourites because the Raiders had... Uh, received a hiding annihilated the by the Panthers, yeah, sixty points or something like that. Yeah, and uh, and I don't know what was happening with the Eels' headspace, but that was that just happened to be the uh, same weekend that the first grade got smashed up in Darwin, and the both the New South Wales Cup and the Jersey flag also copped hidings in their matches, and it was probably when the Eels were in their worst spot for missing players, yep. and they just seemed to be flat across the grades. That might be unfair on the New South Wales Cup because the players that uh, took the field for the Raiders that day they were, are players. now playing first yeah, grade. they dropped a lot of NRL players for that particular game. So, yeah. And so, speaking of that... Mm-hmm. Now you've got the New South Wales Cup against the Raiders again. Yeah, so- this, this is a good one because even though it kicks off at one forty-five pm which would usually clash with an NRL or close to clashing with the uh, NRL sometimes, this one's going to be broadcast on New South Wales Rugby League TV. So if you jump on their Facebook page, they'll have a live stream of this contest. So make sure you do that to catch a very intriguing Eels outfit. Uh, as always, we've seen this year, Jordan, not always, but for the most part this year, given that Hayes Perrin's been bumped up the first grade for a while, we see Jordan Rankin at fullback. He's going to captain the team as well. Marcus Sivo and Sean Russell, the two NRL caliber wingers, remain in reserve grade this week as they build up ahead of that NRL bye. In the centres, we see the powerhouse, uh, Zach Sini. He'll be partnered by Hayes Perrin, who drops excuse me, who drops back from the NRL this week. Uh, interesting to see Perrin named in the centre 60. We'll talk about that shortly. But in the halves, as it has been for a while, Jack A. Williams at 5'8", Jake Arthur at halfback. In the front row, unchanged this week, young gun Tavita Talma Penu will partner Wiramu Greg. Mitch Rain is the rake. In the back row, the usual stalwarts on the edges, Ellie Elsgaham, who's been excellent, and Bryce Cartwright, who brings some real flash and pizzazz to the team. But big in this week, returning from a contentious suspension is Kai Rodwell. He's going to be a lock forward and add plenty of grit and uh, gumption to the team. On the bench, Jaden Yates, who was very good last week, will be the first utility. Picked Solomon in Iduki, the uh, outside back option. Luke Bain and Brendan Hands round out the 17. Canberra have only named 16 players, so it's going to be interesting to see who fills out their 17. But looking at that roster, 60s, I know Sammy valame has got plenty of experience in the outside backs. Actually, they've only named 15 players. They're missing a winger too. But Sammy valame Matt Frawley, Sam Williams, Emery Gula. Uh, and Corey Harawir and Ayura give this team some serious strike power in their starting pack. Former Eel prospect Trey Mooney also one to watch in the back row. I, I can't figure out why um, Corey Harawir and Ayura is playing in this grade. I, I, it, it's, it, it astounds me because I think he is a, an NRL player yeah. every day of the week. Definitely. Maybe, maybe I just haven't been following. Well, the Raiders I don't know, form the, in the lower. The interesting thing was that he was rumored to have re-signed with the Raiders months ago, but nothing formal has ever come. And we know that Stewart can be a little bit petty when it comes to players that sign elsewhere. So I don't know if he's picked up a contract at another NRL club or he's just in the bad books somehow. But he is 
he is a plus NRL player. Like he is a very good back rower. Yeah, yeah. So look, interesting. The Eels lost uh, Samuel Luizio to a, a hamstring twinge. I'm sure he's only going to be out for the one week. But um, look, I think it's an important game because that last match, which was only a month ago, the Raiders absolutely dominated in that match and uh, Croker was, he was outstanding in the game. Well, I, I'd basically be rattling through all the players that are now playing first grade. Um, I think, although he's now out at first grade this week, but in that match, he even had Charles Nickel Klockstad, who was playing fullback on that day. You had, um, trying to think, the uh, centre. Um, uh, Chris? Yeah. Yep, Sebastian Chris. Chris yep. He was he was playing in uh, in the team. Uh, you had uh, Zach Wolford was playing reserve grade that day. It, basically, all these players that seem to have given the Raiders NRL impetus when they've been included in recent weeks were all playing in reserve grade that day up at Kellyville, and it was very one sided that match. And I think the Eels as I mentioned, will be a stronger opposition for the Raiders this week with all the inclusions that have come back from injury. But it is played down in Canberra, and I think it's a, a match where maybe Parramatta's going to be looking to make a statement as to their credentials for taking out the title in this grade. So I'm looking forward to being able to uh, watch that one, mate. Yeah, like we said, broadcast on New South Wales Rugby League TV. And for the Parramatta Eels, they enter this week in fifth. Uh, just one win behind the Bears and Bulldogs, who occupy third and fourth spot on the ladder. Raiders are on their heels, though, with five wins. So just one win behind the Eels. Yeah, so plenty to play for, a chance to cement your, your spot in the top eight and also consolidate towards the top four. Eels looking to be back to full strength just about in the New South Wales Cup. The one player we talked about earlier that would be a huge sneaky inclusion would be Ophiki Ogden. If he's not in this week, we hope he's back next week. But yeah, there's, there's a lot for the Eels to play for this week. And it's going to be curious to see how they, they manage this game because we already mentioned it, but uh, potentially without a, a sort of noted coach, given the vacuum left by Dave Kibble leaving, and we've seen... Uh, Ryan Carr sort of step up some of his responsibilities. If you were out there for the NRL game against Manly, you saw him in the NRL warm-up. So, big question mark for them there, how they manage that. But they did it against the Blacktown Workers Sea Eagles, and I expect them to be very competitive against the Raiders this week. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm i avoiding giving a, a tip because if I was giving a tip, it, I, I feel like I should be doing it based on more recent Raiders form. If I was to give a tip based on what I saw a month ago at Kellyville, then the tip would be for the Raiders in both of the lower grades because they were absolutely dominant in both of those grades. But the Jersey flag has been difficult to follow. They've, I just feel that they should be doing better. I, there's there's parts of their game that I've really rated, the, the way that they've structured play, the way they've hung in there in matches, and we even saw that where Manly got away to a, a lead that they pegged back but couldn't quite peg back. There's, they just seemed, uh, Penrith did the same to them, and Penrith are right up the top, and Penrith got away to a big lead on uh, on the Eels, and the Eels uh, pegged back and, and scored quite a healthy amount of points 
just recently. So I just feel that they should be doing better. But just seeing how the Raiders played that day, it's hard to see. And yet the Raiders are, what, two points ahead of them on the table. So the Raiders have obviously struggled since that round. So, yeah, where, where do you go? I mean, was it just a one-off performance for them in the jersey flag? And then, as you say, we go to the New South Wales Cup and I look at that and I go, well, gee, they had plenty of first graders that day. And then you look at their team that they're trotting out this week and, again, they've got all these notable players that you'd normally think should be playing first grade and instead they're playing New South Wales Cup. So I, I think... The Eels can win the New South Wales Cup game. I probably have more confidence tipping them than the Jersey flag team, but also think there's nothing that's stopping the Jersey flag team from getting the result. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I am I'm avoiding a tip because I just don't feel that I know the Raiders teams well enough well, you to be able to give Raiders, an accurate tip. Raiders played us recently. That was about a month ago. Since then, they've had their buy, the global buy, and then they played the South Sydney Rabbitohs in both grades. Their cup team gave a pretty comprehensive beating of the Rabbitohs, but their flag team eked past them 24-20. So it's kind of just hard to see where the Raiders are travelling in general because they've barely played football for nearly a month. So it'd be very interesting to see how those two games uh, translate for the Eels. Obviously, the cup looking to consolidate their top eight spot. The flag looking to make a push into the top eight. Going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But let's get to the main event, mate. This one kicks off at 4.05 p.m. at the same venue, GIO Stadium in Canberra. It's Indigenous round in the NRL, which means it's the uh, the Nonawal and uh, Wiradjuri, Wiradjuri sorry, Raiders versus the uh, Durag and Buramadigal Parramatta Eels. Canberra, they're, uh, I don't know, we talked about this before in other podcasts, but we have a knack of playing teams that have turned the corner. Uh, and the Canberra Raiders, they're entering this game on a free game win streak with very solid wins over the Cronulla Sharks and the South Sydney Rabbitohs, as well as I think it was the Canterbury Bulldogs they played, but most notably the Cronulla Sharks there, who've been one of the better teams this year. They're playing some good football, and they look like this coming into this game. couple of changes. No Sean's nickel clock star. Xavier Savage, their young outside back prospect, will be the fullback. Nick Kotrick and Jordan Rappiner are, win- are the wingers, or Kotrick, sorry. Uh, originally in the centres, Jared Croker was set to captain the team and part of the Matthew Tomoko, but bizarrely, uh, this is one of the great, uh, I mean, I, I, I say this at Croker's expense, I obviously don't wish that this happened to him, but this is one of the great rugby league injuries. Jared Croker dislocated his shoulder at home this week trying to pick up at the TV control. Like, that, that is no joke, that is the actual injury. He dislocated his shoulder trying to pick up a TV control. So he is now out, which I believe will see Seb Chris come into the starting team off the bench and then them promote one of their extended players or extended roster players into the 17, obviously. But in the halves, they've got Jack Whiten and big-time recruit from the Gold Coast Titans and one-time Parramatta Eels reserve grader, Jamal Fogarty, will partner Whiten at halfback. Josh Papali'i and Joseph Tapene are the front rowers. Young Zach Wolford, son of uh, Parramatta Eels flag coach Simon, will be the dummy half. In the back row, it's Hudson Young and Elliot Whitehead. On the edges, Adam Elliott is a lock forward. The bench, Tom Starling, Ryan Sutton, formerly Sebastian Chris, but he's obviously going to be promoted to the starting team, or most likely to be promoted to the starting team, and Corey Horsburgh. Among their extended roster who were competing for that final spot, Brad Schneider, Harry Rushton, James Schiller, Corey Harawira, Naira, Trey Mooney, Emery Gula, and Matt Froy. For the Eels on the flip side, mate, uh, we've got one big change this week, um, and it's in the back line. Quentin Gufferson is not the change. He's their fullback and captain as always. On one wing, it's Bailey Simonson taking up arms against his former club, 
But on the other, the big inclusion this week, coming back from a medial cruciate ligament injury that's kept him out since round six against the Gold Coast Titans, it's our boy Wanga Blake. He'll be on the left edge with Tom Opachuk. Will Penaseni is the right centre in the halves. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses. Unchanged front row, which means Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Polo bookending Reed Marnie. In the back row, this is technically an official change from what we saw last week listed, but it's the actual way they ran out against Manly. Sean Lane on the left, Murata Niakore on the right, and Azai Papali'i lock forward. On the bench, Makahesi Makatoa, Ryan Madison, Oregon Kafusi, and Nathan Brown. Extended roster, Bryce Cartwright, Jake Arthur, Mitch Rain, Hayes Perham, Sean Russell, Kai Rodwell, and Micah Sivo. That's a, a lot of words to burn through right there. But yeah, how do you see this one playing out? What do you make of the Canberra Raiders team and especially that Jared Croker injury, that is one of the real bizarre ones. Well, they're probably lucky because if his shoulder... Yeah, pops, was, pops out from picking up a TV yeah. control, he'd be up against Will Penasini, I want to say. I think Croker plays left for the the Raiders. So that's the the Croker, Murata, oh, that's the Penasini Murata near Corey edge. That is a violent edge. He would have been in trouble yeah. from the first... Set. You'd have to assume that if it hadn't happened then, it was either going to happen at the training or if he made it to match day that he was going to be in trouble. I remember working with a fellow who was playing uh, in the Parramatta Juniors uh, as, well, he must have been playing A grade in the Parramatta District back in the day, and his shoulder was so bad that I think he had to give football away because his he would dislocate his shoulder during his sleep. Yes. Just roll, if he rolled over in bed and it went the wrong way, he, he would actually wake up uh, in you know, obviously a lot of distress because his shoulder had popped just with the way he was sleeping. So it, it, I think when you start to get multiple dislocations or multiple injuries to a joint like that and, and where something as simple as picking up something light and it's just obviously the the positioning of the arm the movement causes the uh, joint to come out of its socket well you've got a real problem and and unfortunately that looks like it's going to I, I think I'd be I'd be surprised if he came back this year to be honest if they if his shoulder is doing that he's got some major issues that isn't going to be mm-hmm. solved by a bit of rehab I, I wouldn't think you'd have to think there's an operation that's needed to fix that, wouldn't you think? Yeah, the fact I, I that mean, I'd be, a, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be stunned. The fact that it's just a basic everyday activity, is like bending over and picking up a control, could put your shoulder out, is uh, very concerning for Croco. And you know, he, he's been one of the real stalwarts for the Canberra Raiders through thick and thin, uh, one of the highest point scorers in the history of the NRL. And it's a sort of injury that makes you think if some players uh, have a bit of a, a curse put on the NRL because Cameron Smith is the current reigning point scoring holder. And <laughs> to to knock out Croker for what I expect to be a sort of extended amount of time due to an injury like that makes you wonder: was there some you know black magic done for a dark deal? <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> and yeah. and look, just to point out about Jared Croker, I mentioned seeing the Canberra team with him in it in the reserve grade a month ago up at Kellyville Park, and someone of his calibre stood out that day and I can't believe that I was watching him at a local park because essentially that's what Kellyville Park is at the moment. It's mm. just a it isn't developed as a match venue. There are no spectator facilities there other than a, a grass hill 
to sit on and it's and it's not even cultivated as a grass hill to sit on up there it's in it will be a match venue when a stand is in the place of that hill uh, and that's supposed to happen so they're supposed to start construction on that this year but ostensibly he's playing at a facility that is no better than any local ground that's used by a junior football club and in, and in fact there's probably some junior clubs that had uh, oh, better there, there are some, uh, match like the world clubs have some great facilities exactly yeah yeah so it, it shouldn't happen i honestly I, I i don't believe that a player of his caliber should be running around in local parks but that was the decision that the that their club made he put on a masterclass that day. It was just something to behold. See, he was getting away those flick passes to his winger, putting his winger into space. It was just, yeah, it, it, it was, when you see class players playing at that level, you, reserve grade's an interesting watch at times where you see players who are first grade capable players might just be playing at the standard of reserve grade when they're either dropped to reserve grade or they're coming back from injury they mightn't stand out in any way then you get players who are playing in that grade and they might be on their way to first grade or they might be someone that's coming back or fighting their way back into first grade and you just watch them and you go this bloke should not be playing in this grade and he was one of those players i think the one in the past which really stood out to me. I can't remember which Morris brother it was when he was at, at Canterbury, but he was dropped to reserve grade and he was playing it against uh, Wenty at Ringrose Park. And I'll never forget that day because he just tore the Wenty it, team it to so, shreds. It's so fascinating seeing some like true NRL players get dropped to reserve grade and how some handle it and they you know, go about doing exactly what a good NRL player should do and devastate the opposition. And some that just you know aren't as hungry sort of just plot about in the grade and... Yeah, it makes such a fascinating backdrop for a given New South Wales or Cup clash, sorry, in its various iterations, whether it's the ISC Cup as it was recently or New South Wales Cup. But yeah. For- and that's the interesting, that's the inter- interesting thing for the coaches have to decide because there will be players who will just go, as you say, like just absolutely smash it and look like they should be there. And then you've got others who are just basically play at the standard that they're at and then the coach has to decide is you know this person are they fit enough is the are they going to go better in first grade than they are in this grade because I do want them back in the team so it's almost like they go back into the team on reputation mm-hmm. and then there's others who really have to slay it to to get back in there so um anyway um so look the the Canberra team mate as you said they they really are hitting form and we spoke in the podcast on the weekend about uh, teams where uh, the supporters might feel that the Eels have played a team back into form. And our take was that we're we're copying teams on the upswing and also teams that lift to play Parramatta. This is going to be no different. The Eels down at Canberra, although we recently broke the hoodoo of not being able to win down in Canberra, We've still got a record of something like only winning five out of 18 at that venue. I think it's something like that. And the Raiders on the upswing, this is going to be a tough match. Make no bones about it. Don't 
don't look at the Raiders' position on the table. Look at their recent form yeah. and how they've been performing. Mm-hmm. Look at the fact that they they historically play well against Parramatta down in Canberra, and you know that it's going to be a, a, a really tough road trip. Maybe the only saving grace is that it's not being played in the night time. Where yeah, it would Sunday be ultra cold. It'll still be now. sharp, but it won't be the the wild Canberra cold that can happen when it you know it's single digits on the thermometer, but even colder on the actual pitch. So, yeah, interesting. Recent history in these two teams, sixties. If you take away that loss we had against them on the Gold Coast in the bubble uh, last year, was it the bubble last year? Uh, we're playing up on the Gold Coast. It must have been where we had the. It was in sort of amidst that big slump we had. Game ended in controversial circumstances when Micah Sevo was bumped in the touch by Jordan Rapino, who didn't really use his arms to make a tackle, just used his knees. Uh, before that, the Eels had a free game win streak against the Raiders, including uh, a somewhat historic win in Canberra. You mentioned they've been so hard to beat there in uh, 2021. Earlier that year, we'd beaten them to the tune of 35 to 10 in Canberra, and that was a, a significant moment for the recent history between the two clubs. Can the Eels repeat that this week? It's going to be tough. Like you said, they're in they're in good nick, and it's more it's really as a team more than any individual player. You go back against those wins against both the Sharks and the Rabbitohs, and there's no one scoring bundles of tries. It's across the park. They've got backs in Kotrick and Rapina scoring. They've got forwards in Papali and Young scoring. Uh, the only real Achilles heel looking at this team coming into this week, outside of their confidence being so high, is the fact that their goal kicking might be a little bit spotty. Brad Schneider, he's not in the team this week. He was four from five against the Sharks, but struggled against South Sydney, which led to Rapino taking over, who uh, led, I think he went, I want to say, three from four. So uh, it's, it's hard to say. They're, they're just playing really good team football at the moment. Yeah, so you'd assume Jamal Fogarty's going to take the kicking duties now? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be him, or Ra- him or Rapino, I'd say, in this instance. I'm not sure who's the better goal kicker between the two. Yeah, so look, I, I look at their team on paper and their team on paper looks very, very strong. Then you're talking about a team which is high in confidence and self-belief and there's nothing like having a winning run to have that confidence and self-belief and especially when they're playing in front of their home fans. I really think it's going to be a, a close match. The inclusion of... Wonga Blake is important for us because it adds that height back out on the wing where uh, Hayes Perham was struggling with the kicks into that corner. He he defensively he just hadn't fi- found a way to compete. Yeah, and it, it's not just that uh, on both sides of the ball, Wonga Blake is a real lightning rod for our for the kicking game. We love to use him as the guy that goes up above everyone else, can either take the ball clean or tap it back to a sweeper. Uh, so that gives us another option in the red zone now, which is really nice. Um, you know, and Hayes, Hayes Perham did a great job considering the circumstances. Hasn't played wing. Uh, had some really awful matchups in terms of, like, some of the better wingers in the competition. But, yeah, having Wanga Black, Wanga back for that athleticism, his better fit for the wing naturally is huge for this team. Yeah, so, again, it comes down to, I think, the mindset of the Eels. Mm-hmm. I watched... The Eels train yesterday, very positive in their approach. There was some good talk that was out there on the field. Mitch Moses, right at the start of the training, was geeing them up. You know, let's be up for this. Come on, let's go. It's It, it was 
it was one of those sessions where after watching it, I felt fairly positive about how the Eels would be approaching it. But, I mean, how how do we tell? We've had, we've had these instances where the Eels have we're expecting certain things in their performance. It doesn't, it doesn't quite translate to being out there on the field. I think they will need to be at their best to beat the Raiders in Canberra. There's a lot of positives that we talked about for the Raiders and they've got that momentum at the moment. We're still in that stop start pattern, win loss, win loss, that sort of, that sort of thing. We've just had a win are we heading for the, the loss again or can we string two together? The With with this being a bye coming into the bye round after this, it's really like that four-point game that we spoke about on the weekend mm-hmm. where the two points that we pick up for the bye immediately after and and having and already having a win before that, it's it just means that we come back after the bye with nice ladder position and maybe a freshen up to hit that back half of the season. <sighs> Gee, I think it's an important game. I, I I rate this as just as important as the, as the game against Manly because we needed to make sure that we got the two points against Manly, that we were able to turn around from that uh, the disappointing loss to the Roosters. <sighs> I, I didn't have... Like we had our criticisms of the Eels' form from the matches, but I feel like we we're still sort of warming into the season, and that and really at this stage of the year, there's a positive around that because in the last couple of years, we've been in reasonably cracking form coming through that first half of the season, and and then lost momentum in the in the uh, back half of the season. So, if we're going to continue to build, that's not a bad thing. Will we get this? I think it's going to be a close one, mate. I, I'm I'm going to tip a scoreline of twenty eight to twenty four. I think Wong and Blake is going to be crucial. I think that Murata is going to be crucial in this game. Um, now that said, I'm not tipping either of them to feature in uh, Man of the Match. I'm I'm probably going to go for Mitch Moses or Dylan Brown for man of the match in this. I'm going to go Dylan. Dylan? Nice. Dylan for Dylan for player of the match best on field. I think his matchup uh against Now do they play the same side him and Whiten? Oh uh, gosh, Whiten. Does Whiten play the left edge for Canberra? If Whiten plays left edge, he pitches him against Mitch Moses. But he's he's also the sort of player that will pop up on both sides of the field. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to – and I'm not sure if Jamal Fogarty changes the equation either. So, yeah, that, that'll be something to watch on game day. Yeah. Yes. So I – because I think that we need that big body uh, – we'll, we'll, sorry, I should say someone who can handle the big body 5'8". Yeah, Whiten a punishing runner of the ball. Yeah, he is, and and that's where Dylan Brown provides an advantage in that he enjoys the defensive side of the game and that physicality. Uh, so I'm tipping him to be the um, best on field. And as for first try scorer, 
I'm going to go for Wonga Blake in the return match. Mm-hmm. So um, what about you, mate? What's yeah, your I look at this game and I've got not, not reservations, but I, it's, it's more like understanding that Canberra are a formidable opponent given their current run of form. I've got those same question marks about this contest. On the flip side, Parramatta Eels have plenty of time to prepare for this game after a very difficult month plus of uh, not just opposition but travelling, short turnarounds. They enter this game with an eight or nine day turnaround. They played on Friday against Manly, play on Sunday against Canberra. Plenty of time to recharge and refocus for this game. And they also enter this contest. You mentioned that it's a potential four-point game in the context of having a bye, which I agree with. But it's also a chance for the boys to just rip in and tee off because they know they've got the bye coming up, which also goes into a Monday game against the Bulldogs. They've got a huge turnaround. Uh, they've got over two weeks of recovery time into this game. So if they get a little bit niggle, uh, banged up on, or niggles in this game, it's not as big as it would be in a given week. Obviously, you don't want a serious injury. You always, always want to avoid serious injuries. But I think this is a real chance for them to just tear into a good camber outfit, enter the bye uh, with the team batting uh, 66% win rate because you improved to 8-4 and four for win this week. And that's, that's what I really want to see from our boys this week is just getting in physically – doesn't have to be on the scoreboard because the Raiders are a good team, but physically dominating the Canberra Raiders across all aspects and phases in the field. Uh, on the back of that, I am also tipping a, a close-ish game. I think I'll go Eels 21 to Canberra 12. So obviously we'll see a field goal in there, most likely from Mitch Moses. Like you, it's really hard to go past the, not not fairy tale, but the nice little scripting of Wanga Blake scoring the first try. Uh, he just adds another dimension to the back line such an aerial threat, and also just has a nose for the try line in general. So I will back my boy Wunga in for first try scorer. Best on field. Could easily pick one of the three origin contenders here in Barlow, uh, Campbell Gillard, or Madison. Uh, Mitchell Moses is always a great bet here. Jeez. Um, this is tough because uh, I, I, there's a player that could use some redemption from last week, I feel, and Reed Marnie. Um, and there's also a chance for him to put in a timely reminder to Queensland selectors, given that Harry Grant's in some doubt uh, for at least this week. Um, I, maybe I will go with Reed. Maybe Reed just a great service, good tackles, maybe a, a line break or two, and maybe a try assist. Okay. Well, I, I, look, I'd really like to see that as well because I think I think he needs to find a little bit more. It, it's not. It's not a matter of effort. No, I just, yeah, it's, I, it's I like Reed to fine tune some aspects. That, of his that, game. That's the thing. Is I think last week against Manly, probably overplayed his hand on the short ball. Uh, there was probably a couple more opportunities to run the ball too, but you know, you, you sort of copped that on the chin. We got the win. Uh, I just think that this week against Canberra, our forward's going to be fired up. Hope we can just string together a really, really positive result on the back of that. Yeah, and I think it's important the start. The start is absolutely critical against a team like the Raiders. Oh, they're they're high on confidence. Yeah, exactly. You can take the moment. Don't let them get early momentum. I think the the Eels have been um, first to score. I think it's it's only something like about three times this season. So we've really been behind the eight ball in the majority of matches. Um, uh, I'll. I've probably being a bit. Um, I'm might be embellishing a little bit because I'm including the Newcastle game as a game where we weren't first to score. We were the first to score a try, but Newcastle actually opted for a penalty goal. But I, I think it's only something like about three games where we might have scored 
the first try. It's not it's not too many. So I'd like to see us get to an early lead. I'd like to have that momentum of the Raiders stopped early. I think they're they are that confidence team. I think mm-hmm. if you were to get a jump on them and to take away the momentum uh, of their forwards, that that goes a long way to securing the win. And again, it comes back to the Eels forwards needing to get a job done. And I think if they get that job done, then Mitch Moses and Dylan Brown play well off the back of it. And that's where I think Dylan Brown will have uh, an exceptional week this week. Yeah, one way or the other, whether it's Reid or Dill or both, hopefully the Eels have a big game heading into the bye. Uh, just a by the bye. We won't be having an instant reaction podcast on the Sunday night. It will be coming out Monday or early Monday morning. Uh, we've just got some uh, personal matters to attend to, I suppose, on Sunday night, 60s. Uh, well, I'll, look, I'll just say straight out, I'm going to a gig <laughs> on, on Sunday night in, in at the Enmore Theatre. So I, I won't be able to... Uh, provide an instant reaction podcast until Monday morning. So uh, thank you for people being uh, patient with that coming out. But grades will probably hit Sunday night. Mm -hmm. So make sure you are switching over and checking out the Cumberland Throw for goals ever popular uh, post-game grades. He has a way with words too. I did enjoy his take on the... uh I put in inverted commas controversy surrounding uh, Manly's lack of penalties. <laughs> he um he he put it very eloquently in so far as uh, don't commit the penalties you don't want to be penalised and you're lucky you weren't penalised for more. So he's yeah. always got some fantastic insight into a win or a loss. We're hoping that it's a win, obviously this week. And then we've got the two weeks off, mate. We're gonna have some content in between there and then. Obviously, it's the midpoint in the season for the Eels. We can probably do a little bit of a breakdown uh, of the halfway point, sort of a mid-season review, as it were. And we're also going to have the uh, next iteration of the Parramatta Stories up next week. Yeah, so lots to look forward to on TCT and a big game for the Eels this week. Stick around with us and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again in the next podcast. Yes, sir. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. It means the world to us. We'll catch you guys on the next edition of The Tip Sheet.